Well, in a world of unpredictable events and personal challenges, sometimes it's easy for us to lose track of what God does moment by moment. Uh, what is he doing to preserve us and what are his purposes for our lives? So we, we've learned, and, and you probably already knew this, that God loves us. Uh, Ephesians certainly shows that. And, but, but amidst the pressures of, of life, things like rents and mortgages to pay and jobs to perform and some of us have health issues and uh, you might have tests to take. We have, we all have transitions we have to uh, go through. And you might be wondering, is God able to help me here today? And so that's, that's the question the text is, is really answering for us. Is God able to help me here today? And so the Bible's message is very clear from, from certainly from this text. God is able. Why is he able though? It's because of a sovereign God who rules over all things in all places among all people. And he does this for all eternity. And that's why God is able. But how can you and I, how can we be assured that God is able? Well, the Holy Spirit unfolds the answer here. And what we have is a little doxology here. And in this doxology, it unfolds the answer. And you say, uh, what is a doxology? It's just a Christian hymn of praise to God. It's a Christian hymn of praise to God. And that's what we have in these two verses, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. So let's read this little doxology. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And God's people can say, Amen. <laughs> so what an amazing doxology. Isn't that awesome? Great verses. So here's the proposition from those two verses. That God wants you to believe Sorry, trying to bring it up for you. There we go. God wants you to believe that he is able and willing to help you. So do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you need to memorize these verses. <laughs> okay? If you if you do believe this, you still need to memorize these verses. These, these are things you need to meditate on. Uh, if you're struggling with unbelief, you, you need to believe that God is able, but not just able, but that he's also willing to help you because if if God has the ability to help you but doesn't want to you're not going to get helped are you so this is a beautiful truth God's both able and willing so I uh, got three questions in your notes if you're taking notes I encourage you to do so uh, it's it's well proven by the way when you're you're, you're listening and you're writing and you're, you're looking, you're more likely to remember. So three questions I'm going to answer from the text today. Number one, how much can God do? How much can God do? Well, if you look at verse 20, the answer is right there. God can do how much? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so, uh, that's, that's kind of the full answer, but, uh, the first, let's just take the, 
the first part here and dissect this a little bit, okay? So how much can God do? Well, look at, first of all, God does more than we ask. That's awesome, isn't it? God does more than we ask. Well, that just got me thinking. What, uh, when you were a child, let's talk past tense. When you were a child, do you remember what you asked for? Just think about that. When you were a child, what did you ask for? Well, I was kind of curious. I'm not obviously not a child anymore. So I looked up on the internet. Uh, what, what, what are children asking for these days? It's been a long time since I was a child. So, uh, in, in the, in the year 2020 here that we're in, uh, some of the top toys, some of them I didn't even recognize and don't have any idea. So I just picked some of the ones I, I recognize. So that some of the top toys the kids are asking for in 2020. Would you believe Barbie doll is still going strong? Yes. And, and those of you who are Frozen fans, and by Frozen I mean the movie. Uh, actually, there's two movies. Um, so I know I know some of my children would love to have the Olaf shapeshifter soft toy. What? Olaf. He, he's 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 a really cool uh, snowman. Uh, the other one, if you've watched The Mandalorian, is Baby Yoda. Yeah, Baby Yoda. Yeah. If you don't know about that, you're not missing anything. And then I, I can't believe this. I mean, Care Bears were around when I was a kid. They're still, but these these are Care Bear interactive figures. Apparently, they talk to you. I don't know. And, and then those of you who love that uh, that song, Baby Shark. Oh, this one's for you. There, there's a Baby Shark dancing DJ. Yeah, I, I know. Just. If you're a parent, don't go buy that one for your children because you're going to be baby shark. Da, 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 da. You're, you're going to hear that uh, too much. Anyway, it'll drive you crazy. So uh, you're not children anymore, and you're not asking for those things, I assume. So what do you ask for now? Somebody in the, in this house just said money. Oh, even though you guys are on mute, some of you, I'm sure, would agree with that. Uh, God has a way of destroying some of the things I wrote down on my page. One of them being secure jobs. Anybody asking for a secure job? Well, that's an illusion. Uh, adequate income, good health. Uh, some people go to school, uni, or whatever. You know, they they want their diploma. And uh, none of those things are are a sin in and of themselves, but those, those are more probably more likely to be the things that we ask for now. Isn't it wonderful that we can come to the Father who is able to do what we ask? I hope you you really believe that He is able to to do that what you ask for, and and in fact, He even invites you to come to him and ask him for things. For example, uh, put a scripture here on the screen for you. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What a blessing. God invites you to come to him. He, he invites you to ask him. You can go to him 24-7. That's what a beautiful thing that is. It's a great blessing. So 
if you look at verse 20 in your text there, the first thing the apostle says about God is that he is able to do something. The word do there in verse 20 actually means to make, to cause, effect, to bring about, to accomplish, perform, provide, or create. So what is it doing? It's pointing us to a God who is a worker. Well, that, that, if you know Genesis 1 and 2, you know God is a worker, right? He, he, he works. And so this has certain implications here for us that, that God is neither idle. He's, he's neither, uh, he's not inactive. He is not dead. So he's alive. He's active. He's working. He's working on your behalf. <laughs> what a contrast then between the true God and the false gods. Uh, we see that a lot, particularly in the prophets. For example, in I- Isaiah's day, uh, the people of Israel had fallen away from the worship of the true God. And they were worshiping idols. And Isaiah, uh, or I should say, God gave Isaiah words for that particular situation. And so he described the idols. Uh, he, he says things like, they're nothing but pieces of wood carved up by the worshiper. Uh, they, they know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds are closed so they cannot understand. That's uh, actually over in chapter 44 that he says that. Uh, God actually calls the idols a block of wood. And then if the, the verse on the screen, verses on the screen there are actually God's challenge. And he says there in Isaiah 41, present your case, says Yahweh. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Bring in your idols to tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing and your works are utterly worthless. (laughs) Now, one of the things I just want to point out to you from those verses there is that the proof of the true God's existence is that he is able to do things. The block of wood can't do anything, right? We, we know that. False gods can't do anything because they're not real. But, but a real God, the living God, of course, he can do a lot of things that, that he wants to do and, and he's able to do things. And so praise God. The Father's ability though is not limited here by what we ask. Think about it. What would your life be like? If God only did what you requested. Just ponder that for a moment. What would your life be like if God only did what you asked for? And it was limited to that. Well, I'm glad. The What does the Bible say? God does abundantly more than I ask. Same for you. Well, because we're human, our requests are often very feeble and, of course, finite. For example, we uh, uh, we want dessert. 
when we need meat. We want success when our greatest need is humility. Uh, maybe we pray for safety when actually uh, we don't need safety. We need, we need a trial or we need some form of sacrifice. Or maybe we need courage instead. The problem is we ask within the limits of our human vision, but God is able to do more. The problem is, uh, again, our vision is short-sighted, but God sees way beyond. He sees into eternity. He knows all things. For example, just to get specific for a moment here, as we're thinking about God doing more than we ask, uh, you know, I, I know to ask only what I think is good for my immediate family, right? I, I often pray for, for my children, my wife. Uh, so I'm praying for my immediate family, but God says he, he does abundantly more than I even ask. So, so God knows what's even good for my future grandchildren, right? Isn't that awesome? God, and Heidi's saying, if, if I have any grandchildren, yeah, but the, the good news is don't ruin my illustration here, right? Uh, he, God does more than we ask. Whatever you're asking for, he can do more. And that shows the greatness and, and even the goodness of God, doesn't it? All right, there's a second point in, in your uh, notes there. is uh, Not only does God do more than we ask, notice number two, it gets even better. He does more than we think. Wow. So there, there's some things that we don't even want to verbalize, right? We're not even asking for because we're like, uh, oh, surely, I don't know, whatever you're thinking, God doesn't care about that or whatever, right? So you're not even asking for it. But, but it's in your mind and God's saying, hey, I can do better than anything you even think. And so God's doing surpasses even our imagination. Uh, and the Bible backs this up in other places like, look at this. This verse here, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. I don't think I put that in the notes, but um, but it's on the screen here. It says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. So your eye hasn't seen it. Your ear hasn't heard it. Your mind hasn't even conceived it yet. All these, these wonderful, awesome things that God has prepared for you. But how do we measure what God can do? How do, how do you measure what God can do for you? Think about God. I mean, what does he do? He, he holds the whole earth in his hand, Isaiah says. Uh, the whole universe, God measures the entire universe in a span, by the way. Uh, that's, that's, you know, between your pinky and your thumb. The whole universe is there. God doesn't need light years to measure stuff. He just has his hand, his span. Uh, he, he's in control of every single molecule and atom and proton and electron and neutron in this universe all at the same time. He's, he's controlling it all. Every single galaxy, even the ones we can't even see yet, are, are all in his control. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you only want God to do what you can think? So 
kind of the same question from the word ask. What would your life be like if God only did what you can think? Well, my, my answer to the question, do you only want God to do what you can think is I don't. And, and really, if I was to examine your heart, I, I would, I would guess neither do you. We think that we're, we'll be happy. For example, if, oh, if I just meet the right person, then I'll be happy or you know, if I just get the right job, I'll be happy. Or, you know, if I stop having pain and I have good health, I will be happy. What an illusion. See, God knows in a fallen world, perfect solutions don't exist in this fallen world. There is no right person. There is no right job. And there is no such thing as good health. The ultimate satisfaction is not in a lover, not in a job, and is certainly not in my temporary body. God knows that's reality in a fallen world. And so our ultimate joy then doesn't lie in things of this earth, in you, or in another person. It's it's beyond this world. All those things in, in this world are going to pass away, the Bible says. Therefore, your ultimate joy and satisfaction must lie in what is eternal. And so that's why it's important, uh, as God says here, more than we can think. Even more than you can imagine, God is is able and willing to help. So hopefully that first question is answered for you. What can God do? Well, more than you can ask and more than you can even think. So here's the second question. How will God do more? He's just said in verse 20 here, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So that's that's awesome. That's big, powerful, great stuff. How's he going to do that, right? Well, number one, as you can see there, God works sovereignly. He's You see the word reign in the word sovereign? He's reigning supreme over all of his creation. It's in... He's in total control here. And the Bible says there in verse 20, it, it, it's according to his power. Power. Dunamis is the Greek word there. So Paul uses that phrase according to is just a, basically a way of indicating that something will be expressed to its full extent. In other words, God's going to accomplish his purposes. And the word power there is just an expression of God's sovereign force of creation. What, what, what is, what is he going to accomplish? It's his, his power is able to do this. So what has God already done with his power? You see, if you think about what God's already done, it'll help you in the future. That's, that's the point here. Well, just to name a few things that God's done, what has he done? He's brought the world into being, the whole universe into being. He's brought Christians, as, as Ephesians has already told us, what has he done? He's brought Christians from death to life. And one day, he's going to transform this world into a new creation. Uh, we will one day have resurrected, glorified bodies. Those are just to name a few glorious things. Therefore, my friends, I urge you to believe that God can do more than you can imagine because he is God, and he's going to use his sovereign power on your behalf. Not just your neighbor, not just somebody else in the church, not just some other family member. 
but you. You, you need to believe he's talking about you. <laughs> so do you really believe that this sovereign, powerful God is going to use his power on your behalf? You must believe this. I, I certainly do. I've seen God do this over and over in my life. And the longer you live, you're going to see him do this in your life, not just others. But how is God able, uh, how is God applying his sovereign power? He is, uh, he's doing this, but how is he applying it? The answer is going to stretch your imagination and your, and your faith. See, what the Bible claims is that God will work sovereignly according to his power. And, and look at the end of verse 20. His power, where is it at work? It's at work in us. It's at work in us, the church. <laughs> That's great. So God's working sovereignly. That's how you'll know God will do more. Uh, there's a second point that needs to be made here coming to the, to the end of verse 20, that God works in us personally. That's number two. God works in us personally. So that's, that's, that's the, 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 from that phrase, he's at work in us. So who or what is God going to use? What's the answer? Who, who is the us? Well, the us is, is you, the church. You, the church, is the instrument by which God is going to accomplish more than you can ask or even imagine. So we need to be careful. We often uh, take some verses in the Bible and then and then make them just individual application. But but Ephesians is about the church, and and certainly the application, the implication here is for the church, all the believers. Now. The church is the instrument by which God's going to accomplish more than we can ask or even imagine? Yes. Well, perhaps that might sound a bit idealistic to you, or maybe it's a bit far-fetched to you. I mean, think about it. Where's the Apostle Paul when he's saying this? Well, Paul's sitting in a prison, probably, and we, we assume he's in the, chained to some Roman guards in the city of Rome. And so some people look at this and say, oh, that's too idealistic. That's really far-fetched. I mean, come on. God's working in us personally. He wasn't even doing that for Paul. And and he's saying this stuff. Well, we need to think about this. What is our temptation? Our our temptation is not to believe the stuff that God says in his word sometimes, like this, that God works in us personally. Often our temptation is, to look for heroism, to or, or uh, we we look for some significance or some success in noteworthy deeds or great accomplishments. But what does faith do? Faith accepts that God is working out His plan one moment, one act, and one life at a time. He knows all those things. So collectively, the power of God is at work in the church. And what's he doing? He is changing this world in ways that are unseen, unheralded, and unknown. God is transforming the world by his power through us, the church. It's necessary for our endurance to remember often that it is God's way to work his infinite wisdom and power through us. When will we need to remember? 
Let me just remind you of some things at times in our lives. We need to remember this truth. This has great implications. When will we remember? Well, well, this is something we'll need to remember when we face obscurity, uh, particularly if, if your idol, your deep idol of your heart is significance. You're gonna, you're gonna need to remember this when you're facing obscurity while serving in a small church. You're, you're not gonna become world famous and rich by serving in a small church, are you? Uh, you need to remember this when God chooses other people for recognition over you. You know, if somebody else in your, your company gets, gets the raise or the promotion or whatever, when, and, and you look at that person and you say, they don't deserve that. Actually, I deserve that. And, but they get it above you, right? That's really annoying when that happens, but it happens all the time, right? And so you need to remember this. It, it will help your endurance to remember it. God, God's ways to work his finite wisdom and power through us, the church. Uh, we need to remember this when failure happens. We all fail. Uh, so we need to remember. Uh, we need to remember when we face ridicule from our foes or our friends. Uh, we need to remember when envy threatens to rob us of our commitment to our calling. We need to remember uh, when we wonder if uh, the spouse that God gives us is the right one. Just to name a few things, right? Okay, but we need to remember the truth and believe these, these truths. And so because God's working sovereignly and personally, we know that he gives us what we need. He, he, he's the one who gives us our spouse. He's the one who gives us our church that, that he intends for us. He gives us the position that he intends. He, God is giving us challenges that he intends for us and the trials and the suffering and everything else. He knows that we needed this virus. And so he's given us the, the, the world, the virus that we need. And he's accomplishing his purposes through it. And so God's provision may not always be what we would ask. And it's often stretching what we can imagine, but God gives us what he does in order, well, for good reasons. What's he doing? He, he's preparing us. He's strengthening us. He's humbling us. He's blessing us. He's growing us. Hopefully it's causing a greater dependence on him and, and it's, it's drawing us, to, as it's drawing us to him, hopefully it's drawing us away from this world. Hopefully our affections are not set on things on the earth, but our affections are on him in heaven. So do you really believe that God does all things for his glory and your good? You get that, the, the two purposes? The, 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 that's what God's doing. All things in your life are for his glory and your good, and probably he's doing both of those at the same time. And it's true. How should we therefore treat a God who empowers the service that we give to him? See, we, we just, we see here at the end of verse 20 that God is working in us personally. He's empowering us and enabling us. So, so something must be due God. And that's the third question. What is God's due? What is God's due? If what we do is the result of his power at work in us, then there's only one thing to do, right? 
well, okay, there, there are other options, but the, the only right choice is to give him glory. See, if God does more than we ask or imagine, and he's doing that according to his power, and, he, and he's doing it both sovereignly and personally, then our response must be praise. And that's the first point, right? You can see there that glory is due God in the church. It's due him in the church, as verse 21 says. It's to him be this glory in the church. Why? Because he's chosen to use her as the instrument of his purposes on the earth, and he's doing this for all eternity. Through the church, what happens? His gospel's proclaimed. His law is taught. The people are equipped for God's service. And so whatever is accomplished by us in the church, it's done because our God is now able. He is able, and, and he's enabled us, and therefore the glory belongs to him. Our lives are to glorify God, by the way. Here's a point I want to make. They, they are to glorify God publicly. Publicly. Notice it's unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. And so it's in our public worship, and, and ho- hopefully this, this week we'll go into level two where we can, we, we hopefully we'll be able to get back together next Sunday in, in school hall. But that's a great thing if we do, because in public worship, our get, as, as we gather as a, a group of God's people, it's in that corporate setting where we have a corporate testimony where we are able to display God's glory. God's glory is on display. We're to glorify God even as a corporate group, not just individuals. And so we're to display to the, as we, Remember back earlier, we, we, as Ephesians says, you're displaying to the spirit host in the heavenlies. You're also displaying all mankind on earth, the person of Jesus Christ. You've probably heard it said that you might be the only Bible that someone reads. And so Jesus is the head of this body. We are its members and you're displaying Christ. And so here's point number two. See, not only is, is glory due God in the church, but notice glory is due God in Christ. Glory is due God in Christ. So what does it mean for there to be glory to God in Christ, as verse 21 says? Well, the answer involves understanding our position as well as God's passion. Have you ever thought about this? If you know, if you know your catechism, uh, you would know the answer to this. You know, what the chief end of God, you, you know the chief end of mankind, right? Is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. But what's the chief end of God? Same answer. <laughs> the chief end of God is to glorify God. And so if there is glory in the church, then the thought naturally follows here. There is glory in Christ. He's the head of the church. He's the cornerstone, right? So I have, I mean, think about it. The church is Christ's body, chapter 1, verse 23 says. And those who are in the church are recognized by God as having the identity of Christ. We are his body. We have his attributes counted to us. And because we're his body, we therefore we have his position uh, and 
identity is all wrapped up in that and whatever we do is to his glory. And since his glory is reflected in what we do as his body, we must also consider that if our actions are actually bringing him glory and and if not, of course, if not, then we need to repent then, don't we? Change our mind in regard to our sin. Well, there's a question we need to answer. If God is willing to do such things, which he is, <laughs> so what? what's the question? Is God willing to do these things? Uh, the answer has to be yes then, right? Because we are in Jesus Christ, we have Christ's position, therefore you and I have God's love. Yet there's something even stronger than God's love that assures us that he's willing to do what he is able to do. What do you think it is? If you look at verse 21, see, glory is due God in Christ. God has great passion for himself. And so the, the answer actually lies in God's own passion. How do I know that God's love is assured to me that he's going to do what, what he said he's going to do? It's, it's because of God's passion. I know he's going to do this because it's his passion. What is God most passionate about? God's most passionate about himself. Unbelievers don't like to hear that. Even some Christians don't like to hear that. But, but the reason that I can rest assured my God is willing to use his power for those who are actually in Christ is he is passionate for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, why is he passionate about Christ? Because Christ represents God the Father. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> right? They're, they're one and the same in, 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 in essence. And so the beauty of God's nature is best seen in Christ. And that's why God's willing to use his power for those who are in Christ. And so, my friends, when tragedy comes, and it will, what evidence is there that God is truly sovereign and loving? When tragedy hits, what are you going to hold on to? You need a solid foundation that is not going to be moved by anything in this world. And the answer is not going to be found in your circumstances. Rather, it's in the character of God revealed in Christ. So, cancer comes. Tragedy strike. Our loved ones die. Our health fails and jobs cease, what are you going to hold on to that's going not going to move, that's going to comfort you? Well, there may be no evidence of the sovereign personal love of God, but there is yet glory to give to Christ in these situations. So even when you don't feel like it, God is still there, and he still loves you and, and is caring for you. All right, last point. Uh, what, what glory is due God? Well, glory is due God for how long? Forever. <laughs> it's forever. And what, what does it say? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. <laughs> forever and ever. Well, how long is forever and ever? Well, that isn't going to stop, is it? How long is God going to keep his zeal for his glory? You need to know the answer, that it is forever. 
Therefore, we should never limit God's glory to the time of, of our measurements. There's never going to be a moment that glory is not due God. My friend, our lives are to glorify God perpetually. That's the point it's, it's making. It's throughout all ages, worldwide and generation to generation, it just keeps going and going, never ending. And so when we stop praising God, it, it's, it's bad. See, we're, we're cheating God. We're disgracing ourselves in the process. Just think about it. What is happening in heaven, even now? What, what's happening in heaven? Well, we know the Bible says that the host of heaven are, they're surrounding his throne. Just read Romans 4 and 5. They're surrounding his throne and they're always praising him. The, the chant of the cherubim is just ceaselessly saying, holy, holy, holy. And so the, the, the proper thing is to agree with Paul. Paul's agreeing with what he just wrote at the end of verse 21. And what does he say? As all God's people should say, amen, right? Can you say amen? Even though you're all muted, that'd be good for you. And so join Paul here in saying, amen, amen, however you want to say it, all right? And so that, that brings us to the end of this awesome theological section of the book of Ephesians. And so, my friend, remember, if you can go to the next screen, remember, in your moments of great success, remember those three words there, God is able. And then I've added on to the proposition, not only is God able, because I love the fact that God is also willing. Because of Christ, he's willing. Because if he's just able and he doesn't want to do it, then it isn't going to happen, is it? So this is awesome that he's able and willing to help. So remember in your moments of great success, God is able. In your moment of greatest fear, whatever your fear is, just think about that. In that moment, God is able. When you fail, which will probably be in just a few minutes, when you fail, God is still able. And so when you face that challenge ahead of you and you feel like it's just too great, I can't do this. Remember, my friend, God is able. God is able. And so with those three words, we can all shout and sing hallelujah. Praise God, right? Praise the Lord. God is able and willing to work on your behalf and for his glory. Do you really believe what you believe? You need to believe this. It's life-changing. It's life-transforming. It will bring you great comfort. It will give you uh, the, the power that you need to do God's purposes in your life. So these are glorious truths. So my prayer is for you that you would really believe what you believe. You would know this, that God is able, and you would live like God is able. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these glorious truths in this little doxology of praise to you. May we believe what it says and live like it. As we, we're going to be coming to the last three chapters of Ephesians and see how, how do we live out the theology. May we not forget that you are able and willing to help us. 
You you are the 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 head. You are the cornerstone of the church. We can do nothing without you. Thank you for showing us these things in your word. And so may we meditate upon the truth. May it uh, transform our thinking. May we think properly in regard to our own failures and the challenges and transitions and uh, uh, that we're going to go through and we are going through. Uh, may we re- be reminded of who you are. May we be reminded of your past works. And may that bring us help and comfort in the future. Thank you for being a God who is able. So would you enable us to believe these things and live them out? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.